Hi, welcome to Igniting Ecstasy in Business. I'm your host and master coach, Alex Persclub, and I'm going to be diving into what it takes to create more success and abundance in your business while living with more joy, excitement, and passion on the journey. This is not your typical business podcast. This is a judgment-free space where we're willing to put all the growth topics on the table, and we're not afraid to address the uncomfortable or to share raw behind-the-scenes stories to support your expansion. So tune in for inspiration, strategies, reflection questions, and interviews with world-class guests to help you elevate your business, unleash the power of your full expression, and to infuse more ecstasy into your day-to-day life. Because you deserve to live a life that lights you up inside. And there's no better time to start than right now. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Igniting Ecstasy in Business. I am so incredibly excited for today's episode because I'm being joined by a friend and a really inspiring uh, artist, creator, business owner, Antoine Magic Ramon. He is the author of Becoming Magic. He is a TEDx Lincoln Square speaker and a childhood sexual abuse survivor. His company, Soldier of Love, works to educate and empower others towards successful career development, both on stage and off. And with over 20 years of experience in musical theater, he was the first male universal swing for Hamilton on Broadway, which is one of my all-time favorites, and across the country, excuse me, Broadway and across country. And he was also the first vacation swing for In the Heights during its off-Broadway and Broadway runs. He's performed at Radio City Music Hall, the Grand Ole Opry in Tennessee, and he was paid to dance in the window of a Marc Jacobs retail store dressed as a pig, which I love that fact. So without further ado, I want to welcome you, Antoine Magic Raymond, to Igniting Ecstasy in Business and to this juicy conversation that we're about to have today. Thank you, Alex. I'm very excited for our conversation today. Oh, wonderful. So before we get into our topic today, why don't you go ahead, Magic, and share a little bit about your background? I mean, you have such an incredible and I'll say really um, unique background, right? Very diverse. You've had all these different amazing experiences. So why don't you share a little bit about your history and what's led you to being here today to talk about igniting ecstasy in life and business? Mm, Great question. So I am originally from Blue Springs, Missouri, in the Kansas City, Missouri area. It's a small little suburb. And at a young age, I knew I wanted to be a performer. I wanted to be a dancer specifically. Even more specifically, I wanted to be a dancer for Janet Jackson. Uh, she, like watching music videos as a kid, was the first time I ever really understood you could get paid to dance. And so that was the dream for me. I didn't know how I would find myself to auditioning for Janet Jackson, but that was what I wanted to do. Fast forward through young childhood, um, studying Taekwondo for four years, getting my black belt, and then moving into theater because my high school had a performing arts center. And my theater teacher would produce a musical every year. And so she recruited boys from the choir to be in the musicals. And that's when I discovered theater and musical theater and understanding you can sing, act, and dance all in this one space. So that became the more tangible dream than dancing for Janet Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) And so just through a series of wonderfully guided educators and professionals I worked with, I got into musical theater, professionally working at a theme park in Kansas City, and then the goal was to then go to college and study in college and then make my way to New York and specifically Broadway. It would take some time to get there. I would work at regional theaters on my summer breaks from college. I worked on cruise ships. I've worked in dinner theaters, children's theaters. I have assisted as a choreographer for friends of mine. Um, I mean, so many things. And it was just something that I love to do that came very naturally to me. And so that has led me to a more than 20 year career that has been incredibly fruitful and successful. And not just because Hamilton is a credit, it's not just because In the Heights or Radio City is a credit, it's successful because I've been open 
to finding ways to do that thing that I love, which is performing and getting paid to do the thing that I love. Sometimes it was a lot of money. Sometimes it was a little less money, but I was always getting prepared for the, for the most part. There have been plenty of benefits that I've danced in for <laughs> over the years, which bring with them their, uh, their own connections and networkings and re relationships. Hmm. What a beautiful story about getting paid to do the things that you love. And I heard you say sometimes a lot, sometimes a little, but that you were always pursuing what's in alignment with you. And so I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. How, how were you guided in your journey? How did you know what you wanted to do or, or what was aligned for you? You know, how, how did you find yourself stumbling into these amazing opportunities? You know, you said it's not any one credit, but you do, you have these incredible shows, you know, on your resume. How were you guided to that? I'd say for the first 10 years, I was guided by a naive passion and desire, and also by people that recognized I had this passion and desire for the thing I was doing. I mentioned different educators and other professionals that I'd worked with. Within the first year of my professional career, most of those jobs I got by someone to asking me, have you auditioned for this theater? Or or I have a friend who's choreographing or someone I know is working on this show. I think you should audition for this thing. That is how I found work for the first, I think, yeah, at least decade of, of my professional career because I was growing up in Missouri. My mother was a single parent, not in theater, music, none of that. That was not a space that she thought about. So she didn't have the time or the knowledge to help me find those things. And I didn't really know either. This was before the internet. So I couldn't just log and log on to my phone or anything. And just like find auditions near me. So that was the combination of what got me started and moving and moving and moving. And what kept me going was that I just knew this was the thing I was meant to be doing. And it didn't matter if I didn't see people that look like me doing it, which for the majority of my career, I've been in shows where I was one of few, if not the only person that looked like me in the show. I just knew I wanted to do the thing. I could do the thing. And I just had to figure it out, show up even. Uh, so that what kept me, that is what kept me moving forward. And then it's, expanded in so many ways I never thought I'm now you know taking a step away from the stage as a performer and wanting to be on stage as a speaker specifically and that was not an additional career that I saw for myself or that I even considered it just another series of being around people who saw something in me and me recognizing an interest in that space and an openness. And so opportunities have presented themselves that allow me to now create a new career for myself. So I would love to go a little bit deeper here because I'm I'm really curious. I think there's a lot of different perspectives about this and, and I would love to hear yours. You know, I heard you say that you followed your passion, you followed what you were excited about and that you put in the work and you also made yourself available and a lot of people saw your passion and so they referred you or introduced you to opportunities and it helped build that momentum. And I, I talk a lot in this podcast about following your intuition and alignment and, and being aligned with what lights you up inside and um, really pursuing those opportunities. And I'm curious for your perspective on how much you attribute to to fate or destiny or this was meant to be versus maybe you making it all happen and it being 100% up to you and all of the work that you put in. What's your belief in sort of the role of um, being supported by, by the universe or um, by God or, you know, by higher power? 
versus your role in showing up and following your passions and making those decisions. And, you know, you, you mentioned you've put in a lot of hard work. And so I'm curious for your perspective on that. How do you see how that's played out for you? I've never described it in the way I'm going to describe it to you. This is the first time I've ever described it this way. Oh, awesome. But I would say it is, imagine making like the most delicious casserole you've ever had. It's not necessarily one specific ingredient or a majority of ingredients. It's the combination of so many ingredients, some that maybe you have, like maybe there's a structure you are following and then in the moment you think, oh, let me try this thing. So part of it is faith. Part of it is opportunity. Part of it is me being prepared. I mean, there's, I have gifts. I just have natural gifts of talent, of skill, demeanor, attitude. Those are, they're, they're just things I had nothing to do with. I didn't learn them. They were just given to me. I have learned to utilize them and to do so in a genuine and hopefully authentic way that people recognize and want to work with and be around and support and hire. <laughs> and so, and even with all of those gifts, I'm still a hard worker. I still show up prepared when I need to be prepared. I know what I need. I ask the questions I need to ask if I don't know something. I've learned that. Um, and so it's, it is a combination of so many things. You can be incredibly talented. And if you have no motivation, if your attitude sucks, if you don't show up prepared, it doesn't, it, not that it doesn't matter, but you will only go so far because people will talk and people will want to know what is Alex like to work with? How do they show up in spaces? And if the reports they're getting start to be, oh, not as prepared or whatever that is, that will follow you and catch up with you and then it'll surpass you. Mm. Mm. So as, as you were sharing that, and I appreciate the casserole analogy. That was great. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, glad we got the first look at that um, here <laughs> in the podcast. Um, so as you were sharing that, it also made me think about the level of preparedness preparedness that you need. And I agree with you, right? I think there's really this combination of, yes, trusting and having faith that opportunities are here and available for you and that that you are being supported while you also showing up and needing to put in the effort and, and the preparedness and the diligence. Mm -hmm. And so I know that with your role, especially as a swing, you were responsible for so many different, I mean, parts and dance moves and different choreography and different, you know, lines. And you had to memorize, I think you told me five or six roles. What was it? Six, six in Hamilton? Yeah. Six roles per company. And I went to three different companies and each company is a little bit different. So I'm really learning. I really learned uh, 18 different <laughs> versions of one show. Wow, that's wild. And can we actually clarify for anyone who's listening that doesn't know what a swing is? Do you mind just clarifying that quickly? And then I can ask my next question about your role there. Gladly. So in theater, um, many people are familiar with an understudy, which typically covers one, two or three of the leading characters. And so that is someone who is typically offstage who will cover the leading roles understudies are also offstage and they can cover multiple roles. It can be as few as six or seven, sometimes 10. It depends on how large the dancing male and or female chorus is within each show. So for me as a swing, I covered the six male dancing roles in Hamilton. And then I was a universal swing, which allowed me to do that for all of their US companies. Oh, there's so many questions I want to ask, but I'll <laughs> keep them as relevant as I can for the podcast today because it is, it's, you had such a fascinating job. I mean, you really did. You got to play all these different roles and then you're traveling around the country, playing them with different companies. And, uh, you know, for our listeners today, I'll share that you and I met through a speaker showcase. And I remember as you were doing, you know, your talk, you, you started out your message, putting us in your mindset as you were, um, Performing, was it satisfied? 
Yes. I think from Hamilton. Yeah. So you're performing the song Satisfied and walking us through your thought process of, wait, does man one lift his left hand here or his right hand? No, it's the right. Okay. <laughs> let me turn here. And then what's, you know, the, the breathing I do now. And, and there were just so many thoughts going through your mind. And as I was watching you, I thought, oh my gosh, that is wild that you had to be so prepared and know everyone's role so well that it became like muscle memory for you because you didn't have that much time to think through everything as you're dancing and, and performing. And my husband, even after we had a conversation with you, he said, wow, as I really stopped and thought about magic's role, oh my gosh, it, I just got more and more impressed. I couldn't believe how much <laughs> you know, he had to take on. So, so it is, it's, it's a huge responsibility uh, to be a swing. And so what I'd love to ask about it is how was it for you managing a fear of making mistakes or a fear of forgetting a dance move or doing the wrong person's dance move, you know, in a different role, because you had so much detail that you were responsible for that you had to memorize. And so I'm curious, was that, was that a challenge for you to, to, um, to confront the fact that you had an opportunity to make a lot of mistakes because you were responsible for so much. I think based on the amount of experience I had before I became a swing and the way my brain works and just how wonderfully, delightfully freakish it is that I can watch material a few times and absorb and retain the details of that material, I had a lot of trust in myself. Understanding I'm also human and I make mistakes. Mm -hmm. I think that I'm not too hard on myself when I know that I am doing the best that I know how to do. So when mistakes happen, especially if it comes from a place of I have so much information in my brain and it just so happens the particular information I needed, either I click, either I access the wrong information or was confused or whatever that might be. I offered myself a lot of grace. Now, if it's a case where I'm not as prepared as I need to be, especially if that is my doing, if I haven't asked for the time I need to be prepared or haven't asked for what I need, in order to be prepared, then I would probably be a lot harder on myself. That being said, it would take me some time to really try and find an example of when that has happened because I'm now so uh, disciplined to make sure I am secure in what I need to do that I will ask for rehearsal time, I will ask for clarifications, in order for me to be to, to feel safe and secure to step on that stage and to integrate myself with an energy that can be pretty established um, after months. So yeah, that's my answer to that. I really appreciate that. And if I can reflect back what I'm hearing, there's the trust in yourself and in your diligence, your preparation, your commitment to the process. And really what I'm hearing is to giving it your best, your commitment to, to knowing that you gave it your best. And when you do that, you're able to release the judgment that can come with making a mistake or being hard on yourself and that you've really learned how to embrace letting that go and giving yourself grace while also meeting it with real commitment and, and hard work so that you know that you are giving it your all. Yes, and I have made some very big mistakes. In Hamilton specifically, two that always come to mind. Uh, the top of Say No to This, one of the men has to set a lamppost that will ride from upstate center to downstage right on the turntable. And it's a set, uh, there's a music cue that you have to put it on the turntable before it moves. Mm -hmm. I had been, you know, from I had gone from one company to the next, and I was thinking of choreography for the number after that and missed my music cue and sprinted towards the set piece and then had this rapid fire tennis match in my head of, do I put it on the turntable now or do I just wait and not, and not do anything? Well, I opted to put it on the turntable later. So it ended down stage center 
And thankfully, an understudy who was on for Hamilton is spatially and conscious, consciously aware of what's happening on stage. So he just very casually, as he was saying his lines, walked to the lamppost and moved it to the side of the stage where it needed to be. And I laughed at myself. I was like, oh, that was a stupid move. <laughs> and knew <laughs> my castmates would be laughing at me later. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's, I mean, I've made some noticeable mistakes to people who are in the show and know what's happening, not so much to the audience. Mm. And so was it different for you if you felt like the audience didn't catch it? Or did was it still hmm. something that brought up judgment? I think if an audience were to notice it in the moment, I would just keep going. Um, and I guess I haven't had a mistake large enough that I can necessarily recall an audience reaction of like, Oh, like maybe like after at a, if there's people who have seen a show several times, you know, you have fans to shows and they come often enough and then they know the intricacies and they can kind of see when we on stage are kind of fooling around or playing jokes and things like that. And then if they have an opportunity to chat with us and say, oh, I saw that you did this. And I was like, oh, wow, you really know this show. Like, I just kind of was like, oh, okay, well, uh, good to know. <laughs> oh, that's them, I can it's, relate it's to like those a, audience members, those, those diehard fans. That's definitely me. Yeah, but in those instances, it's it's where they feel that they're in on the joke that the majority of the audience isn't getting. So mm -hmm. I don't necessarily feel much shame or judgment from them. They're just like, oh my gosh, I saw when you guys were laughing about this thing, what were you laughing at? Like, they just want to know more details. Not like, why were you laughing? Like there's seldom less judgment and more curiosity. Mm. I really like that you just brought up how they almost feel like they're in in on the joke. And what I'm what I'm kind of seeing in that and how I relate this to business owners and and, our audience here for the podcast is that there's a real relatability when people see your authenticity, right? We all know yes. that none of us are perfect. We all make our mistakes. We all have our things. And so when people do get to have that kind of relatability with you and connection, it's, it's, it's never wasted. It's true. And something that I keep figuring out and trying to find the harmony in myself is how can I offer that to whatever audience, whether I'm performing in a show or if I'm speaking or if I'm having a conversation, a podcast, whatever that is, what is the, how, how can I be more myself offering what I want to without feeling that it's, that I'm so exposed or that um, I have to be on or, you know, performing, like it's, you have to figure out what that is. And I just think whenever you, however you find that authenticity for yourself and uh, and allow that to go out, then like you said, people connect to that and resonate with that. And it's not that they have to know the personality of me after I've had a couple of cocktails, unless that's the atmosphere, then you will. <laughs> but I don't have to lead with that but there are so many uh, shades of who we are and our personalities. There's so many uh, levels and degrees of that, that it's not a matter of this is business magic and this is party magic. It's like, okay, <laughs> I can, I can, I can play with the levels of those. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. So that, that just brought up another uh, question. And I love that because we also talk about that a lot on the podcast is, following your true desires, finding your authentic self. And I heard you say this before too, about really establishing this trust in yourself. And I personally believe that trust is absolutely related to you having alignment in your business or in your career and to you um, following your heart. You you have to have a trust with yourself because you have to be able to, to trust your desires when they come up. You have to trust where your intuition is leading you. Yes. And that's all part of you finding and expressing your authentic self and finding your authentic self. It is definitely related to, to trusting yourself and to knowing what lights you up and um, knowing what places you like to shine your light brightly. 
And so I, I'm curious to ask you about this because I know in a previous conversation you and I had had, we talked about how for a while for you, you felt like you had to be on stage to experience ecstasy, to experience being lit up. And that was definitely a place where you love to create and and show your passion, right? Or, or um, demonstrate your passion was through yes. your professional career. And I would love to hear a little bit more about how you found more of your whole self, whether you're on stage or off stage. What was that journey like for you learning how to shine your light brightly, whether you were performing or not? I love that question. Um, because I think it's one people seldom take time to ask or even consider or talk about. So for me, it was a series of things. It was traditional talk therapy. It was a more, um, I took some landmark education courses as well over the years. And so I hadn't realized how much I had conditioned myself to leave the bright, bold parts of my, of my reality um, on stage, in the space, in the theater, wherever that was, because I didn't think they could exist anywhere else. I think they... I, I thought they had to be accompanied by song, dance, music, dialogue. And I came to realize that who I am in life, again, is a degree or a, a, a level of who I am on stage as well. The things are not separate it, it's not as if you know i the series severance it's not as if i get on an elevator and if you're not familiar with with the series severance it's people who have some kind of chip put in and they go to their work they go to their work and have no memory of their personal life and vice versa oh that's not how we yeah it's a very creative it's a really interesting show but in life we don't do that I mean, we might compartmentalize, but we still have memory that work that follows us in every space we inhabit. And so once I realized that me being my true and bold self did not have to only exist on stage, that I can have that version of it in my everyday life which is where I felt comfort, where I felt powerful, where I felt beautiful, where I felt seen. Then I just thought, let me be more of that on a daily basis. Let me embrace that. And it took me shedding a lot of learned behaviors from childhood, from religious institutions, from societal biases and ignorances of being black, being homosexual, whatever that might be, or what those are what those are for me specifically. And so it was me actually just allowing that boldness, that brightness, that assuredness that I felt performing to make its way into my everyday life. And in doing and, and exhibiting that in a way that is not meant to make anyone else feel small, but for me to just exist as a human being. I'm not trying to eat up or take your space. I am simply enjoying the space I occupy as a human being on this planet. And there is space for all of us. There really is. For you to be bold does not mean I have to diminish and vice versa. I can look at someone being bold and be like, yes, that is so wonderful. And I was judgmental for a long time of other people that were being bold because I thought, oh, are they putting this on? Is this an act? 
Maybe it is. It's not for me to decide. They know what's true to, in their heart and in their mind and in their spirits. And that's a conversation they have with themselves. They don't have to have it with me. And so as long as my intention and in being bold and bright and beautiful is to ideally be a reflection of that for you for yourself versus me trying to push you out of the way then i'm going to do that and i and i will do that without or with little shame or with without embarrassment because it is an i i see it as an encouragement as i am encouraged when i have encountered those people myself mm. It is magnetizing, isn't it? Like when you meet people who are being bold and authentic and who they are and, and standing firmly in what they believe in and shining their light, it's powerful to be around people like that. I think when you want that for yourself, when you're ready for Definitely. that, when you want more of that, right? you're drawn to people who are like that. I think that's one of the reasons I was drawn to you when we met and when we connected and I wanted to have more conversation with you because I did see a man who was standing boldly in, in who he really is. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. I oh, appreciate that. Well, you're welcome. You're welcome. That was exactly my experience with you. And so I would love to go a little bit deeper into this because I do know a lot of the, the women I meet who are entrepreneurs, high achieving visionary women also have often this dark side of a harsh inner critic or an inner mm -hmm. judge or a pusher who's always pointing out where you could be doing more or being better or where maybe you should be people pleasing to try to not rock the boat and taking a lot on yourself. And so I heard you say that for you and in stepping into your boldness, that there was a shedding of identities or belief systems or things that that were limiting you or dimming your light. Can you share a little bit more about, I know you mentioned that you did a lot of talk therapy. Can you share a little more about what it took for you to, to shed some of those limiting beliefs or, or the things that were keeping you stuck? Mm. I'll also, uh, let me say an ad that, you know, I grew up primarily in a single mother household. I have two older sisters and I have watched my mother live a life that could have and probably should have brought her to the ground so many times. Mm -hmm. And I've seen her strength. I've seen her vulnerability. I've seen her pride. I've seen her shame. I've seen her joy. I've seen so many elements. And and then there and then I also know there are so many things that I've never seen that she has never shown me that I may never know and will never know. And through all the things that I've seen. My mother is someone who, when she knows she is wrong, she will apologize. She will say what she means and means what she says, not out of disrespect to anyone else, but out of respect for herself. Um, and to witness that is, that is so much of the nurture that exists for who I am as a human being. And so having those examples and then just the lessons that she has directly or indirectly instilled within me as her son, when I can access those and remember those true lessons and those, those things, that has also been so integral to me just being who I am and working towards being who I am, even in the ways where it has brought tension between she and I. So we had a lot of tension around my sexuality. And one of the things that my mom always said to me was, no one can ever tell you who you are, but you. And when she and I were having so much friction, that 
<laughs> that sentence, that message kept running through my head. It's like, you're trying to tell me who I am. I know who I am. And so I had to stay true to that, even though that was the lesson I was learning from the person who was giving me the most resistance. So there's your, a, a great lessons can come from people that also offer you great pain. And it doesn't mean they don't love you. It doesn't mean they don't love you. It just means they haven't found a way to reconcile within themselves the love they have for you with the fears that exist for them that probably existed before you were in creation for them. Mm -hmm. So I, I think ideal and hopefully all of your listeners, however they identify have heard in some course of their lifetime that who they are is enough who they want to be, they can be. They've heard those words or some form of those words of encouragement. And if you can, you as in the listener, can go back to that conversation or that person or whatever you think that was and remind yourself of that and even write that down for yourself so then you don't have to try and recall it. You can just go and look at that post that you have tacked in your closet or on your mirror in your bathroom, wherever that might be, and use that as a constant reminder for when our inner critic tries to slow us down or hold us back. Mm. You are enough. Such a simple, but profound, pardon me, profound statement, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I love that as you were sharing it, that who you are right here, right now, today is enough. And it's not an easy one to trust. It is something that requires development and persistence because from the moment we allow the outside world into our minds, be it our phone, TV, if you are in a relationship or have kids, all of those things are going to be pulling at you. They're going to be tossing things at you. So it will be, it can be very easy to not remember that and to not trust or believe that, but when we can tell ourselves that, you know, and, and it is, the more we say that, the stronger it'll get like a muscle. And so another way that I say to myself that I am enough is something that I say almost each meal that I eat. I start by saying, I am love, I am loved. I say that because there may be days when I don't hear that and actually say it out loud. I might whisper it, but I will say it. And it's not that people in my life don't love me. It's that life happens. I live with my partner. He's awake at 6.30 a.m., kisses me on the head, and I might wake up, and I say I love you, he says it back. But sometimes I may not wake up, and maybe I don't see him at night before he goes to bed. When I was working full-time, that was our routine. So I wouldn't see him all day. So I would not hear those words from him. Not that I don't know that he loves me. I know that he loves me. I know my mother loves me. I talk to her once a week. So we just may not hear it. So if we hear it from ourselves, we then we are guaranteed to hear it. And we know when all else exists and happens and moves along, I love me. I know I am love. I know I am loved. And so that is something that I encourage people to say to themselves, say it in the shower, because most people are alone in the shower on a regular basis every day or whenever you shower, no judgment, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, make that a practice. Say to yourself, I am love. I am loved and say it until you believe it. If that means you say it and you giggle and you roll your eyes, that's fine make sure you say it. So then you know, you are there for you at the end of the day. So good. I'm curious, have you ever read the book, Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It? No, I have not. Oh, it's, it's a really great book. I used to give it to just about every client that I ever worked with at the start of our work together, because I love it so much. And he talks in the book about 
50 times a day saying, I love myself. I love myself. I love myself. Mm. And he says, when you start out, you might feel resistance. You might think it's silly. (laughs) You might not believe it, but keep saying it 50 times a day until you believe it. Yeah. And so as you were sharing that, I thought, oh my gosh, yes. So powerful. And I like how you said, I am loved because you're honoring that you love yourself and that you're also, you're connected to love and, and you have love in your life. And I, I just want to really um, drill into this point that when you can give it to yourself, when you honor that you love yourself, it actually becomes easier to receive love from other people too. Oh, yes, Alex. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because uh, I wrote, I actually wrote a similar line in a talk I gave earlier this year. It said, until I believed it nothing and no one could make me believe it Mm. it's so true it's so true it's the same as you know i I talk with a lot of of women i meet about seeking external validation and how Mm -hmm. so often when we're trying to prove our worth or prove that we're good enough by getting positive feedback from other people or getting other people to say it was good enough not that that can't make you feel good or be really great to receive and you can only actually really receive it when you believe it from the inside out. Yes. When you know from the inside out that you're good enough, when you own your value, when you know that you're worthy, when you know that you're, that you are, um, that you are lovable because mm-hmm. you love you. That's when yes. you can really receive it from others. And it's, and for me, it's a love that acknowledges so much. It's not just the achievements that I've had. It, it it acknowledges the deep sorrows and the pains and all of those things. I love that as well because it's the word harmony comes, you know, it, it's a harmony. It's, it's many things. It's that casserole I spoke about at the beginning of our conversation. There's so many things in that. And when we can love ourselves with all of those other elements and ingredients in the mix that is other people they sense that they feel that and you don't you don't have to need you don't have to have it from someone else it's nice to have it can be it's a wonderful support system support is different than being the foundation you are your own foundation, Alex. I am my own foundation. And then I have a support system that is magnificent mm-hmm. that is there when I cannot support, when I can, when I am not able to be my own foundation, when, when it cracks, when it falters, whatever, someone is there to help me and pick me up. If we have not figured out how to be our own foundation, then you're, I mean, you're trying to stand on a yoga mat on a body of water. When I was really working on increasing my capacity to receive support, which is a continuous work in progress for me as a recovering high achiever um, and <laughs> attachments to, yeah, to really taking up a lot of unhealthy masculine space in my life. Um, as I was working on this and increasing my ability to receive and, and lean more into, to my feminine energies. I had this, this thought once that, um, or I believe it was kind of a, this download that came to me. And I realized Mm -hmm. that I could only genuinely receive support when I was ready and willing to receive it. And what I mean by that, or, or what that, um, what that meant for me was that I first had to be willing to fully support myself. I had to first um, have my own back and know how to, to respond to myself with gentleness and compassion over judgment and harshness. I had to really learn how to be there for me and take action that was supportive for me and set boundaries and, you know, be willing to, like you said, to be my own foundation. And it was only then that I would be able to really fully receive support from other people because otherwise even if I tried to receive it, I'd have guilt about it, or I'd doubt, or I'd question, or I'd judge. And I think just what you're saying is is so important. I mean, this is really the 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 crux of being able to um to receive love 
and and really being able to to stand in your boldness right and in your authentic self and and to then be able to receive is you first standing in your truth and and finding your voice yes yes i fully agree and oh god i had a couple of thoughts bounce around um let's see if i can grab one (laughs) sure take your time it's also it doesn't have to be about um it can look many ways. And when I say it can look many ways, you know, you mentioned boundaries. A lot of people are like, oh, like there can be a, a hesitation to want to establish boundaries for ourselves because we think it's pushing people away. Mm-hmm. And I also want to talk, I wrote, I wrote something similar to this in the same talk I quoted or mentioned earlier was that it's not about me pushing someone away and hurting them. It's about me allowing space for myself to heal or to understand what I need to understand. And if that means I need the space so that I can hear what that is for myself in the absence of someone else, then I'm going to take that time for myself as I would allow that and offer that to someone who needed it. If I were the, the extra noise that was not allowing them to find that for themselves. So boundaries is so important for us to understand how we respond to things and so we can learn so much about ourselves and there's a you know a line that i've heard several times we teach people how to treat us and so if someone is constantly coming to you and asking you this or if, and and if you allow yourself to always say yes 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 even to your own detriment in whatever way that might look they're going to keep doing that and when you establish a boundary with them you'll know one way or the other if they truly love and respect you or not because if their response is well i can't believe you're not that that this that the other then you realize oh okay this is the truth of our dynamic and what you expect from me versus of course, take whatever time you need. Thank you so much. Or, okay, not a problem. I can find someone else or ask someone else. Then that tells me they respect the dynamics of our relationship. They understand what I might need, even if it is incongruent to what they may need in that moment. And so those boundaries are very, very telling for the relationships in our lives. I think we could talk a whole nother hour about boundaries. We'll have to have you back (laughs) sometime soon to go deeper into that because I love talking about boundaries. And you're right. It's so powerful in in establishing, you know, where our relationships actually are. And then Mm -hmm. also being able to to honor ourselves. Yes. Yeah. So I appreciate you sharing that. And you know, I'm thinking about how we we kind of went down this um this path all starting with talking about you finding ecstasy outside of being on stage or in addition to being on stage mm-hmm. by you being your authentic self and and finding your bold self and and owning that all the time. So as we begin to wrap up this interview here today and again I feel like we could go on for another hour but I'll I'll <laughs> make this digestible for the listeners for now. Yes. <laughs> with the exploration you're continuing to do about who you are and and what lights you up. Will you also share with our listeners about where you are going now in your career and also how they could, how they could follow along and see what you're up to? Gladly. So currently I have been working and developing a theater education workshop specific to my experience as a swing on Broadway. The reason for that is there is no formal education structure for this position in theater. You can learn just about every other aspect of how to put a play and or musical together and have it run minus this position. (laughs) So I can learn how to create costumes, how to build them, how to write music, all of those things. But at the end of the day, if there are 
as we've all experienced a global pandemic, people get sick and that can take out your working and in, in, in available performers and actors in a day's time. And that's where we as swings come in. We are there to keep the show open, to make sure the show happens as long as we are in good enough health and body. But we don't, we're not being instructed or educated on how to do the thing. It's all on the job training. And the issue with that is that it's reactive. And so people aren't aware of how they manage the stress of the job. They don't know what tools can help them do the job well, whether it's how do you uh, notate the information that you're having to learn at mass quantities? How do you keep track of four, six, seven different roles? I mean, you, we're taught that information, but as you're adding on one, two, three, and four, you still have to be able to access one, two, and three, even when you're learning four, because you could be called within a short time to do that for the show that evening or afternoon. So this is a workshop that long-term goal is for me to actually create a course that is available at any performing arts program at high school and college level across the country and the world, because I just want people to understand their agency and their career path that they can, in a sense, create that for themselves. Yes, the structure of you're going to be a swing, you're going to come in and do this thing. Yes, that is there, but you decide this is a position I want to do, or it's one that I'm not interested in doing. And even if someone offers it to me, I can say no to that opportunity because it's not the opportunity that I'm looking for that I want. And it will leave space for the opportunity that you are searching or seeking, or that is seeking you, not one that someone assigns to you because you have the skills that fulfill what that is. So that is what the workshop is that I've been working on and I'm so excited for it. The name of the workshop is So You Think You Can Swing, Creating a Sustainable Career in Theater. And I am like chomping at the bit to get this thing out. Um, I'm waiting on some information from a friend that's making some things for me and then I'm gonna start reaching out to my contacts for that. Um, but in the meantime, I have a website. My company's website is Soldier of Love, the Soldier of Love us, because it's us. <laughs> I just wanted it to be that that personal, you know, note. And I've never seen a dot us for anything. <laughs> so it's like, great, it's available. I'm gonna either. take it. <laughs> so uh, yes, the Soldier of Love us is the website, and all contact information is there to reach out to me. You can find me on. Social media is, I think you're, you'll include those in the show notes. Yep. We'll um, drop that and your website, all the links in the show notes. Absolutely. Excellent. So, yeah, so that's where I am now. And it's been so exciting. I knew I wanted to stay within theater and I knew that I wouldn't be able to dance at the, at the level that I have been over the years. I'm 43 years old, which in your day-to-day -day job, like, oh, you're so young, but think of pro athletes. 43 is like, oh, you're still doing this thing. Yeah, I sure was. <laughs> and wild. I there I found something else that has me just as excited, if not more so, than performing did. And it's the way that I have found that I can give back to the theater community. And I've been curious as to what that would be for a very long time. I knew I didn't want to be a choreographer or director. Those things, that wasn't the way in which I wanted to share my story with the world. I wanted conversation. I didn't want all of the bells and whistles that come with performing. I just wanted a nice, direct, and clear way to communicate what I'm thinking, what my experiences are, what I'm feeling, and have that resonate with the audience and the listener, and then encourage them to move forward in their own way from whatever they got from our time together. What a great example of how our passions can also evolve and grow and how when you say yes and step into something unknown because like you said you didn't have education about being a swing and you stepped into this opportunity without knowing a lot about it about it and then it took you on this amazing journey and incredible career and having all these different experiences and you just kept staying open 
you said, yes, you followed your passions, what you wanted to do, but you released attachment to the specifics of, no, it has to be this exact role or, or play out in this way. Mm-hmm. From all our conversations, you've shared that with me, that you were open and you kept saying yes. And I love hearing that now you're continuing to say yes. And you don't know how this is all going to unfold with the <laughs> workshops. It's you know, an ever evolving journey, but you just keep saying yes and following your passions, following your gifts, and then preparing yourself and doing your best. And what I'll add to the keep saying yes, keep asking questions until you are confident in what your response is going to be. Ask questions until either it's a yes or a not right now, or thank you and no thank you. I mean, so the the yes can look many different ways, but if there's any uncertainty, be curious enough to ask yourself, what information could I get for me to feel secure in giving the answer? Mm -hmm. And that is something that I aim to do as often as possible because there were times where I didn't, I would say, I was like, well, I'd, I'd have a hesitation about something or, but then I'd say yes, not having all, without really being confident in my response. And those have been lessons I have learned along the way. Like, I've, I ignored a feeling because I didn't want to seem too problematic or bougie or that, you know, better than. And then the reality was if I had asked a few more questions, I could have had more information. And it's about having more information. It's not about trying to trick someone. And if the people you ask questions to take issue with that, that tells me they don't know the answers or they're not being truthful and forthcoming with what the reality is, and I'm not interested in that. That is not a match for me. <laughs> and I am not a match for you because then there's going to be other issues that come up if that's where we're starting. So yeah. ask, so say yes, and don't be afraid to ask questions. The worst they can say is no. And sometimes no does feel like it is life ending. That being said, I don't know of anyone that's died from being hurt, being told no. So uh-huh. I'm just going to be bold enough to say, it will not kill you. <laughs> I, I'll concur with that. I, I don't know anyone else either. And that actually reminds me of what you were saying before about boundaries too, that setting boundaries or asking questions, it also is showing you how people are responding to you and that all of that is showing you what's actually in alignment for you. Yes, most definitely. Mm, that's great. That's great. Well, before we wrap up, Magic, I have just one last question for you, and I want to be fully transparent. You know, I'm a huge Hamilton fan, and I actually got into Hamilton because my nephews love the show. I think at the time they introduced it to me, they were seven and six, eight and seven (laughs) or seven and six, and they could literally sing every word. Like they knew the entire musical. This is when it came out on Disney Plus. And so, you know, then they really learned the words and they finally introduced the show to me. And my husband and I fell in love with it as soon as we saw it. So I did tell them that I was going to be interviewing you today for the podcast and they were excited. And I asked them if they had any questions that they wanted me to ask you. Oh, wonderful. I love this. Yes. Yeah. And so I thought we could wrap up <laughs> just on a, a fun, uh, a fun note here. They would like to know what is one of the craziest experiences that you had from working in Hamilton? Ooh, okay. I've got a top two. Which do I pick? Which do I pick? Okay, I'll go with this one, the first one. Great. I was, let's see, this was 2018. I had been with the show for at least two years. I was in New York. I had been rehearsing Samuel Seabury and had learned his act one and had rehearsed it on stage during the show the actor who plays that got hit in the ear with a prop gun causing a big injury i was the only swing not on male swing not on stage that night so i was sitting in my dressing room on the sixth floor of the broadway theater um 
and it's a walk-up, by the way, important to the, to the story. And I got a call from my stage manager saying, we need you to get in a costume to go on for Man 2. That's his delineation. For Man 2. I said, okay. I was in my street clothes, so I ran downstairs to make my way to the wardrobe room. And while I was running downstairs, I thought, I've never done the end of act one of his show on stage with the turntable, so I don't know how that goes. And I don't know any of his act two. They'll figure that out before I, by the time I get to where I need to go, and then something will be sorted out. I just need to get in the costume, get my microphone, and be ready to go on stage. So I get to the wardrobe room, I put my microphone on, I put my costume on, I walk into the stage manager's office, and I see the stage manager, the male swings, both dance captains all huddled around. They're talking about, because they didn't know how long it would take me to get ready. So they're trying to figure out, um, this is at the end of Yorktown as well. So okay. it happened in Yorktown. And then we have Hamilton and Burr sing a duet called Dear Theodosia. That song is maybe two and a half minutes. So we're going to say all in all about three to four minutes of we need you to get in a costume to when I have to walk on stage. I oh walk into the stage manager's <laughs> office and then they say, okay, so we're going to put you on for man one. We're going to have Eddie do man two because you don't know the rest of man two or you don't know man two. And that's what we're going to do. I said, great. Thank you so much. I leave the stage manager's office. I then had to cross underneath the stage to get to the other side to then be where I needed to be in order for, for me to start the finale of act one as man one, which is also known as Charles Lee. So I just walked on stage. My fellow swing had to then recalibrate in his brain. I'm now man two. After he'd done an hour of Charles Lee, he now has to then switch to Samuel Seabury. So it's not only like my brain was working rapid fire, but then another fellow swing had to also recalibrate his brain to work rapid fire. All in the meantime, the actor who was injured was whisked away to the hospital. The audience had no idea. The show kept going. And that's one of the wildest experiences I've ever had. Gosh. That is interesting. As you just said, the audience had no idea. I was just thinking, and the audience probably had no clue because everything <laughs> was just thrown together, you know, so um, with so much intention, right? And probably seemed seamless yes. while all this crazy stuff is happening backstage. Yep. And that ladies and gentlemen, and all others in between, that is what it is to be a swing. <laughs> <laughs> that is a perfect story. <laughs> Excuse me to illustrate that. All right. I, I've got just one last question for you, Magic, and then I'll, I'll let you go here. Um, now, one of my nephews did ask if you were afraid of making mistakes, which we already covered that actually organically earlier in the episode. <laughs> so the final question I have for you here is, what is your favorite song? Part A to this question is what's your favorite song to listen to in the show? And then what was your favorite song to be part of performing? Ooh. Okay. Well, I'll answer B first. So my favorite song to perform is Room Where It Happens. And that is because of the, the style of the choreography. It is very, very reminiscent of Bob Fosse and Andy Blankenbuehler, the choreographer, danced has danced Bob Fosse's choreography, um, probably danced for Bob Fosse. And I just love that style of jazz dance. And so Room Where It Happened is is all of that. It's like sinewy and sultry and sexy and shadowy. And I just love all of those, those pieces of the choreography. So that's my favorite to perform. Uh, my favorite to listen to, oh man. Uh, I'm going to go with what's coming to mind and I'm, I think I'm going to go with Satisfied because there is just something so... Uh, that's a toss-up also between... <laughs> it's a toss-up between that and um, Burn. And the reason I choose both of those is because there's such a raw emotion within the music and the lyrics, and then the way in which each actress delivers those elements to the song. And it's so different depending on 
who sings it. And I've heard so many different Angelicas and so many different Elizas mm -hmm. perform them. And it it's not only impressive and what they do vocally and as an acting exercise, but also just to hear the lyrics and understand the story that's being told. It's just, there's so much depth and richness. It's, oh, it's really beautiful to hear. Now I'm thinking I need to have you back for another episode where we talk just about Hamilton because I have so many more questions and thoughts I want to share as you were talking. I'm thinking, oh, I never really thought of it that way. But, and and I do love uh, Satisfied and Burn. I mean, I love just about 99.9% .9 of <laughs> the music in the show. I personally think Wait For It is one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard in my life. Um, but I also love how it, it gives you deeper insight into Burr and why he is the way he is. And I think it's makes him so relatable. So anyway, we could go on yeah. and on and deeper and I mean, deeper. I, into I'm happy Hamilton. to be a repeat. I'm happy to be a repeat um, guest. <laughs> oh, oh, good. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah, we'll definitely have to have you back. And you and I may need to have another offline conversation just about totally nerding out on Hamilton. <laughs> but Magic, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your openness and your willingness to share not only the fun stories and experiences, but also the more tender things that you move through to really step into being more bold and owning your authentic self, which has helped you ignite ecstasy in your own life. You're very welcome. Thank you so much. I appreciate the invitation and thank you to your listeners for the time that you have given us to listen to this because I know it is a choice to listen to anything these days. So thank you for choosing this episode for giving us this time to be with you. And I'm very, very appreciative and very grateful. Mm. Well said. Me too. And perfect way to end the episode. So thank you again, Magic. And everyone, don't forget to check out thesoldieroflove.us. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Igniting Ecstasy in Business. If you enjoy what you heard and you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite podcast player. I love to hear your feedback, your insights, questions, or any desired topic requests. You can also reach me directly through the contact page at alexpurseglove.com. I so appreciate you spending your time here with me today. And until next time, I'm wishing you a beautiful day of focusing on what lights you up inside.